I'm Molly O'Connor. And I'm Sarah Connell. And you are listening to Pop It. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture. We are live at the AC Hotel in Worcester and joined by our guest, Michelle Miller, director of the Center for Women in Enterprise. Michelle helps women increase their personal growth, professional success, and financial independence. We're so excited to have you, and I just wanted you to start off by telling us what CWE is all about. Yeah, so CWE is short for the Center for Women in Enterprise, and what we are is a nonprofit that helps folks start and grow businesses, exactly to your point. It's all about financial independence, entrepreneurship, economic growth, We have five offices. The one that I sit in is in Westboro, but I cover all of Central and Western Massachusetts. We do trainings, consults, networking events, whatever it is for women to get the information that they need to have a successful small business. And I saw you have a lot of classes that are coming up. Are those free? Most of them are. Uh, Every now and then we'll tack on a $10, $20 charge just to defray our costs, but we offer scholarships. So we are never gonna turn you away because of your ability to pay. What is the process to take one of those classes, to get a scholarship if necessary? What will we need to do in order to, to get, get in involved? There? Yeah. yeah, to get involved is as easy as giving our office a call or me directly. It's it, we, we try to be really accessible, so we're out in the community all the time. So if you see a class you want to take, just let us know. We do our registrations through Eventbrite, but it's all on our website, so you can go and just sign up. If there's a a class that has a fee that's not terribly comfortable for you, just give us a call. We have a a one-page scholarship application thing that we do just to gauge household income so that we can give a percentage off based on on your situation. Nice. And are there a couple classes you're really excited about that are coming up? Yeah. We have one that's coming up in a couple of weeks called Legal Considerations, and it's not a unique one. We offer it a lot at all of our offices, but it is so important. We have volunteer attorneys come in and facilitate it so that folks can learn about the liability considerations of their operation, different legal structures that they have, those kinds of things so that they can, they can protect themselves moving into business. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because we sat down at Birch Tree a few weeks ago and I was like all a flurry. I'm like, Michelle, help. It's tax season. And I don't know if I should be a solopreneur, an LLC. I don't even know the difference. Can you just explain what the difference is? Yeah. So there are a couple of different ways that you can set up your business. And there are tax sides of things, to your point, and then there's a legal liability side of things. The most common ways people set them up are either as a sole proprietorship, or you might hear the term DBA thrown around doing business as. Uh, then there is a, an LLC, or there is a corporation. And the, the difference between the two is sole proprietorship is there's no difference between yourself and the business in that situation. You are the business, which is awesome because it's quick, easy to set up. There's not a lot of regulations, and taxes are relatively straightforward as long as you're keeping your books throughout the year. But the liability is where it comes into question. Because there's no separation between yourself and the business, in the event of a lawsuit, it's you personally that's that's on the line there. With an LLC or a corporation, you've created a separate legal entity, and that's the business. So as long as you dot your I's and cross your T's, keep all of your records separate, you do banking separately between the business personal, a couple other things like that, you can keep the liability on the separate entity for the most part. So you could still be the only one in charge, but you're a little bit more protected. There is a cost though, so you do have to spend a little bit more time on the front end setting it up, making sure you're doing all of that uh, properly. 
And when we spoke to, you told me that I needed to figure out what my competitive pricing model would be. Now I'm a freelance writer and I said the information isn't out there. We're not doing a good job sharing it as writers. And part of that is the word competitive, you know? And um, you suggested that I go to the library. So I actually have a meeting with them in a couple of weeks. Awesome. And they're going to help me look through some databases. But you had another suggestion as well that I call some competitors. Can you explain your technique for figuring out competitive pricing on my own? Yeah. So I have a couple of thoughts when it comes to setting pricing for you. One is making sure that you cover your costs, which is something that I hear women miss a lot is is actually having a healthy understanding of their costs and what they need to understand to live or what they need to earn to live rather and then setting a an hourly rate around that another is your competitive position right with other folks who are at a similar skill level do similar things as you um and for one i think it's it's a great idea for people to publish their prices so that they can they can speak for what it is. But if that doesn't happen, you have a couple of options. You can head to social media, you can check out reviews, you can see the dollar signs that people put on Yelp, those kinds of things. And you can also call and get a quote. There's there's absolutely nothing wrong with calling somebody else who does a similar product service and seeing what they would charge for, for a given a given project. I think the morally correct thing to do in that situation is to let them know that you're not gonna move forward and actually hire them. <laughs> so that they're not sitting around waiting for you, but but that way you get a sense of what they're charging. And we talk a lot about women in male-dominated industries, and even last night, Molly and I went out for drinks with a salesman, yes. right? And um, <laughs> he was funny. He was giving me advice about negotiating salaries, and he's like, well, you know, of course you need to negotiate. And I said, I've heard this a million times, but mm-hmm. it still feels uncomfortable because we're raised to be so polite, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, and I think one point that he made that was really interesting is Sarah was saying, well, the base salary that I'm looking for would, like, meet what I want. Yeah. And then it's and then and then if there was travel involved, we're like, no, you need like you need to incorporate that in. And she's like, well, there's commission. And he was like, no, the base like the base salary needs to include that. Yeah. So it's the commission like, will be your play money, right? So stuff like that, like we don't like I wouldn't have thought of that. Mm-mm. And so even just something as simple as like no, like you need to think about the whole kind of a big picture, right? Yeah, because they said if I'm looking for a new position or even looking to take on freelance work. I try never to make a lateral move. And, you know, my thought process was if there's commission, it's not a lateral move. And you said, treat it that way. You need to ask for more money. He was so funny. But I'm curious, yeah, when you do decide to work with women or men, how you approach that differently? Yeah. So most of our client base is women simply by nature of of our focus. We we focus on women-owned firms, but we're not discriminatory. But I see that a lot. And I felt it myself. I still do. Gosh, you know, I mean, I spend a lot of time thinking about this and trying to get over it. But to your point, it's very natural for us to try to be polite and try to be careful. If you think of something like a job offer, you might take the original salary be, be stopped on the point of excited about the job offer and not feel that you have room to negotiate up. Like maybe the job offer will go away or something like that. And in my experience, men don't think that way. <laughs> Women do. And it's something that we, we do need to overcome and we do need to keep our eyes open for new job opportunities all the time and, and keep our value in mind. So when I was talking about the pricing earlier, in answer to your question, what what this guy was saying last night it sounds like it's right in line with that you need to know what you need to earn and that is your baseline price that you don't go below 
folks don't need to know what that is, but you need to know it so that you can always be negotiating for something higher than that. I think it's part of a bigger confidence question that I run into a lot when women are thinking of starting their own practice or maybe they're thinking of moving up in their existing job, whatever it is. The first hesitation and it informs everything about their next steps is whether or not they're good enough, whether or not they can justify it. Are people gonna gonna turn away or think they're silly? And then we have to get past that. We have to support each other to get past that too because there's no other way for us to to succeed <laughs> yeah absolutely and what you what you just described sounds a lot like imposter syndrome right this phenomenon of people thinking like okay i've been faking it i've been tricking all these people when are they going to find me out yeah and so encountering that and i'm sure you do like you must it's you see that a lot more with women yeah it seems to be a lot more common yeah really do and in all aspects of their lives whether it's setting a price for their business if it's negotiating a salary with their job if it is Figuring out whether or not they, you know, their, their confidence when they're going out on a date, yeah. <laughs> raising their kids, every element of our lives seems to be pervaded by that. Absolutely. So I hope we'll kind of become more militant about getting over that. Um, you mentioned that, like, by the nature of your organization, it's mm-hmm. mostly approached by women mm-hmm. um, or sought out, but that you don't discriminate. Um, and we actually noticed I was looking through your success stories. We are both school teachers, but we, and we work in Auburn, and we saw that there was a gentleman, Seth Ilardo who yeah. had started the maple tree business, and we thought that was really cool. Um, and we were kind of just wondering, like, how do you approach or strike a balance between, like, who you serve, wanting to, or not, you know, catering kind of towards women, but we noticed, too, that he was a veteran. Yeah. And so we were like, what traits do you look for? What qualifies a man to be a part of the Center for Women in Enterprise? We are, because we try to be so approachable, I try not to get into the business of turning people away, ever. If you call, you want to work with us, as long as you're respectful to everyone else around you, I'm not going to turn you away. That said, how we do our marketing model is very similar to how I encourage the entrepreneurs to walk through our door to do it. I mean, you have to have a target audience. You can never, doesn't matter what you're trying to sell, product, service, anything, you, you have to have a clear image in your mind of who your target is. And it's never an exclusionary thing. You're never going to turn away someone from a sale, but you need to know who that low-hanging fruit is, who the easiest sale is, the person that, that likes what you're doing the best, and your business model needs to be targeted toward them. So that is how we're structured. Our, our focus is on women, and that's what we've done. Although recently, you mentioned that he's a veteran. We're, our organization is going through a little bit of a growth. We, we run five women's business centers for the SBA, and that's how the Women's Business Center program is designed, with the, the, the woman as the target audience that anyone else can come. We recently got a new grant from the SBA that allows us to target veterans as well. So now we have, we've gone to a growth model where we have a couple of target audiences, women and veterans, and the veterans are not as gender specific. So Seth falls into to that category. I don't think that's why he picked us. It just happened to work out well for him, but I don't know. I might be rambling here. I don't know if I'm answering yeah. your question. No, it is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. All right. Yes. <laughs> but we were hoping you should you could share some more success stories, and we are very focused on women on this podcast. There's a woman. I don't know if you saw her story on our website, but she just won our our annual Rising Star Award every year. We we every office nominates some folks that have been 
doing really well, that have overcome a lot, that have made lots of strides. And uh, a woman from my office won this year. I'm very excited. The woman that I nominated, her name is Carla Morales. She is amazing. Carla, uh, her mother is originally from Guatemala and cleans houses. When she moved here, it was to create a better life for her children, was continuing to clean more or less ad hoc uh, houses as as jobs came up and Carla called my office and said you know we could do something with this we could structure this into something that's not as not so much the hustle of going after just anyone trying to trying to get what it is you know I want to put a more formal structure around this and figure out how we can have a business that that ultimately sustains itself brilliant um, so she and I worked together most of last year and in November she formed a corporation around our your home detox <laughs> they're phenomenal so she has now started this 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 business and her mom's there and they have a, a common thing that business owners need to figure out is also their competitive advantage, right? There are lots of cleaning services out there. So what's going to set you apart from everybody else that people could hire? So her angle is being good to the environment. She uses all eco-friendly products. It costs her a little bit more money, but she has made this commitment to the environment. And that is a really great reason for people to pick her company over other companies. So she started her company in November, doing really well. They're getting ready to hire their first employees. Super cool to see. And, and just the two of them, if you ha- if you check out their website, I think it's getyourhomedetox.com. We'll link to it. Okay, perfect. Uh, it's also on our website, but they there's a wonderful picture of Carla and her mom and a story in their story underneath it. It's been really cool to watch them grow together and work together. And now they've got this really cool company. I think they almost have a competitive advantage even outside of the eco-friendly where just like their story itself is Absolutely. is kind of something that people would gravitate towards, right? Like, oh, this woman worked really hard. It's her and her mom. Yep. Um, like, I think people would be like, oh, I want to hire them because I want them to succeed. I really hope so. Yeah. I, I, I do hope that, that people will see that and think of that. And that it that while that's a cool reason to hire them and want to support them, I hope that it does that that people realize the quality of their service yeah. and what they're doing and they make a hiring decision based on how good they are, what they do. I sometimes have a hard time with this lately. And in my line of work, it's unique, right? Because my life and personality can be part of my writing. I write a column called Lifestyle. It makes sense. But there are so many figures right now, female entrepreneurs in particular. Um, I'm thinking the Canal District crew. And they face a lot of criticism from other business owners, from other media people who are like, it's just the same people over and over. And we know their stories and we know them. And they're always putting themselves out there. Now, I love that. And that's why I shop at Queen's Cups. That's why I shop at the Haberdash. You know what I mean? Because I feel connected to those women. And you feel like they've opened themselves up and made themselves a little vulnerable. Uh, Do you see this happening a lot? People making themselves their own brand. So, yes, I do. And I'll answer that more in depth in a second. But, but first, in response to what you're saying about people who are who are not excited about them putting themselves out there, I would say that women have been told for a long time to be quiet and to step back and share the limelight, do those kinds of... And that is the crux of our confidence issue that we were talking about before. Women are taught that from day one. 
and it feeds into all these other things. So I so I applaud the Canal District group of women, especially because they're not. You don't see, for example, Amy Chase sitting there and tooting her own horn all day and doing Never. nothing else. No. She toots other people's horns. Mm-hmm. I love that. Exactly. They Shiny. have created an alliance, and they're all raising each other up. So anyone who is maybe feeling left out should look to connect with those women rather than wanting them to sit down and be quiet in the corner. I feel the same way. And some of this is coming from editors where they're like, you need to switch it up. Stop writing about the same people over and over. And I understand that. And there are a lot of people in Worcester, you know, but when they're doing cool things, I'm going to write about it. (laughs) Right. If if they're the ones who are making those choices, Mm -hmm. then the people who aren't putting themselves out there or who aren't hosting cool events or like you said like shining a light on other folks they're not going to get the press if there's right. nothing to offer and I don't have the scope that you have Michelle but has that always been uh, a business approach to sort of make yourself at the center of your brand or tell your personal story or is this a new phenomenon that came with Instagram <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly been enhanced more lately because we have more tools to make it happen you know before Instagram and Facebook and things people didn't didn't necessarily have as many tools but you did still see folks trying to do press releases and doing grand openings and things like that we just we just have more tools to amplify it now and that is certainly one of the things that I talk to folks about who come through my office looking to do better with their business I tell them to not spend as much money on a some huge marketing campaign but to get to know their target audience and do things to bring them in and make them feel comfortable. I I just had a conversation yesterday with a woman who is older. She is deathly afraid of social media, um, but she has a new practice and she needs to bring folks in. And so she talking about doing a grand opening and things like that. And just said, wow, you know, she doesn't have any clients. So we talked about instead, why don't we do a really cool focus group in your new space with what she, she's targeting women who are in their fifties, who have certain health concerns, confidentiality, I won't get into that. But um, said, why don't you spend a little bit of money with an ad firm to do a, to invite women in that age group to a focus group. You spend a few dollars on a couple bottles of wine from a local wine shop near you. Bring them in. Let's talk about what they're dealing with and how you might be able to, to so that you could craft your business model more strongly around their needs. And then use that to build your presence. Use that to get your first set of clients afraid I'm going off topic again, but the point is <laughs> um, to folks who, who aren't doing events, who aren't doing things, who are who are worried that maybe it's that these other businesses are taking the limelight away from them, I encourage them to, to go network with them or call my office. Let's talk about some cool stuff that you can do in your space on the budget that I know small business owners have, and let's figure out something cool so that you can get the press. The AC Lounge at the AC Hotel in downtown Worcester is the newest place to be. During May, the trendy AC Lounge is featuring fun and exciting ways to officially usher in spring, showcasing custom signature drinks to celebrate college graduations, build your own bruschetta bar, yum, and a fun pop-up artist event and a meet-the-chef culinary evening on National Hamburger Day. Check out the AC Hotels by Marriott Worcester Facebook or visit them on 125 Front Street behind City Hall. So I wanted to ask you two about a wild idea that I have. <laughs> I, love, I love this idea. And Tom Hanks is going to love it too. Oh, I like it already. Um, I got home from our meeting the other day and my fiance said, oh, you had your typewriter meeting. And I was like, what? And I, I said, no, no, I was asking her about like freelance advice, you know, how I should be doing my taxes, if I need a lawyer, that kind of thing. 
And he said, I thought you were going to pitch her your typewriter idea. So I'm about to pitch you my typewriter idea. All right. I'm all yours. I don't know if there's a lot of money in it, but I was thinking that we could go through the business model canvas together and like imagine that I had just asked for a meeting and that this was going to be my new life as a typewriter woman. (laughs) Um, I love the idea of a storefront possibly where you could come in and pay a fair amount of money for your stationery and then I would have an array of vintage typewriters and you could type out thank you invitations or like any a love letter on Valentine's Day but also these typewriters could go out to events and be activations at events and spaces you could do wedding guest books you could be on the common at an event um, and you could do things with kids around literacy and then also the space could double as my office to continue my freelance career awesome I've just pitched you this idea What's my next step? <laughs> I love it. So next step is to start working on this business model canvas, as you mentioned. And for your listeners, the business model canvas is a phenomenal tool that you can get for free. There's a blog called Strategizer. You can get it for free there. They have a couple of different versions. But it's a great way to map out the core working components of any business that you're that you're thinking about and see how everything would work together. You're going to do a lot more testing after you write the business model canvas and you're going to go out and talk to people and prove your... That, that there's actually a demand <laughs> for what you want. But you start with, with this business model canvas. So that said, the first thing we do on a business model canvas is talk about your value proposition. So if you think about the service that you're offering, you've got some cool typewriters, people can come in and, and write letters, those kinds of things. What are all the other options that people who want to write a thank you note they could go to a gift shop and buy a cute card that an artist made. They could go to CVS and buy a 99-cent card. Mm-hmm. They could send an email. They could make their own cards. They could make their own cards. Mm-hmm. So this kind of has that like handmade feel where they're making their own card, mm-hmm. but it's also polished and unique, and you can Instagram it. Perfect. So I would put those things under that value proposition box, right? It's polished. It's unique. It looks... I'm sorry, I already forgot the third thing you said. I should have been writing while you were talking. Thank you. Handmade. Yes, it's like genuine, you know? Genuine. Yep, so I'd put all of those in that first box of your your business model canvas to talk about what sets what you're doing apart from all of those other options. So you're not talking about in this box, you're not talking about... um, the coolness of, or the importance of sending a, a thank you note. You're talking about the difference between the way that you would allow people to do that and the next best alternative or any of the other alternatives that are out there. So I'd spend some time with you and think through all of that. So what are, and you might not get it done in one sitting. This is meant to be a process, but but what are all the different things that would encourage someone to come to your shop to do their cards there versus all these other options? Then I think about, okay, who does this appeal to? Right? We talked earlier about your target audience and figuring out who, I really hate that term, low-hanging fruit, I just haven't found a better one yet, but people who already like what you're doing more into that kind of thing. Right? The seed so, to stem crowd. The seed to stem crowd. Excellent. And so who are they? I guess they're people who are out to have a retail experience. Now, I know retail is dying, but people want things that they can't necessarily buy online. And this has like an Etsy quality to it, but you get to do it yourself. Uh, I don't think it could succeed in its own corridor. I think it would need to be somewhere where there's already density of a place like Seed to Stem, which sells like terrariums and um, air plants and Bedlam Book Cafe, which has is a local bookstore with juices. And then you've got Haberdash there, which is that little clothing boutique. And if you threw your typewriter store in there, you'd get tons of foot traffic and it would fit the vibe. The millennials. Yeah. 
that is getting on to something, right? So so you've got an idea in your head. I'd like you to put some more parameters around it. Okay, so we got millennials. So what gender do you think is going to be more pulled to this kind of experience? Mostly women, but I think it would be a sentimental thing to do for your wife or girlfriend too, um, if you were a man. But I don't think a lot of men necessarily... Um, heteronormative men, is that the right word, sure. are going to be writing their male friends type written letters. But maybe. They might. So the, the, and the goal of this is to figure out that, that core, right, where the majority of your sales are going to come from, right? Like it's not, you know, you might have a secondary market for the guys looking to do something cool for their life or, you know, any of these other categories. But, but your core group, it sounds like you're thinking, are millennial women. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for their purchasing ability? What does that mean? That means they're spending money that they have, right? So they're going to need to take money, say, I don't know what they, what millennial women would typically spend on a card, mm-hmm. but you would presumably need to be somewhat competitive with that. Right. So what is their income level? What sorts of jobs do you think, not just any millennial woman, but the millennial woman who's specifically pulled to what you're talking about. What kind of work does she do? What does that mean for her household income? I can speak to this. Please do. Excellent. And the reason is I love cards, <laughs> like greeting cards. <laughs> I'm like a millennial woman who like, I used to go when the, when the Hallmark stores were still open, I would go to the like Hallmark signature aisle that had all the ones that were like, here's the artist who created this collection of cards. Excellent. And so I would spend like, Six ninety nine on a greeting card that I felt was like really moving to me, or you know had a particular grab. Yeah. So I can give you specifics. Good, and yeah. specifics are exactly it. So you can kind of be our prototype here, yes. right? Because the goal of this is to figure out who that core group is yeah. and what makes them tick. What's their how how much spending money do they have for these kinds of things? What goals do they have that you can help them meet, like meeting handcrafted sorts of things? And to get as clear of an image, and now we've got one sitting right in front of us, but you want to be able to picture in your mind the person who's going to be most excited about this, who's most likely to spend the kind of money that you're going to have to charge to keep this alive. That makes sense? Yeah. So on your business model canvas, and I won't, I won't dig into all your personal details on our, <laughs> on our podcast, but, but, but if, if you were working on a business model canvas, I would effectively want to chart out a picture of you. You want to know the typical gender, typical age, typical occupation, um, any other sorts of interests that someone might have, like are, are they typically pet people? Do they have kids? You know, I, I don't know. Um, their income level. And then when you, when you have all of those sorts of things, um, then you add in passions, interests, desires like supporting handmade, supporting local, you come up with a pretty clear image of who the person is that is going to care about the value that you have to offer. So that gives you something really good to go on because the whole business model is going to need to be targeted around bringing lots of you. <laughs> and sorry, folks on the podcast, you can't hear me, but I just indicated. Um, Molly is my <laughs> prototypical yep. customer. <laughs> exactly. So you would want to figure out how many Mollies there are in any given geographical area and yeah. what's happening with that population. Are there are there more and more people like Molly coming into the to the city in that particular part of the city? Are they shrinking? Are they moving? What's what's going on with that? And that will give you a sense of potential demand for it. And I say potential on purpose because we'll go into proving it <laughs> later. Yeah. So we've got who we've got what the value is that we're offering, that secret sauce, that thing that you're doing that nobody else is doing. We've got the person that you're offering it to. And then you want to move to channels to figure out how 
you already know Molly, but you need a whole bunch more Mollies. So how are all of the Mollies of the world going to figure out about the value that you have to offer them? So we're starting to touch on a marketing strategy here, but this is just an early stage thing, but part of why it's so important to understand. So Molly, how do you find out about new cool things happening in your community that you might want to be a part of? The internet. There you go. <laughs> and the internet's a big place. Where yes. where specifically do you go? I go to Instagram. All right. Awesome. Same. Molly is not on Facebook, and I see that more oh. and more. She's yep. on Instagram. Yeah. Yes, I'm not on Facebook. I use Twitter. Twitter is less local for me, mm-hmm. though. It's more, it's a broader scope. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I use Instagram, and I even read things like Worcester Magazine. Yeah. Like, that is, like, I seek out local, like, local alt-weeklies. Excellent. So, yeah. so that tells you, Sarah, something very important about how you need to be marketing. If you go and do something expensive, Facebook campaign, it's going to be wasted dollars. Mm -hmm. But you should be spending a lot of your time on Instagram and making sure that she can find you there. And maybe a couple of ads, or better yet, stories in Worcester Mag so that you don't have to, as a new business owner, that you're not putting out a lot of money on your advertising campaign. But now you know how she communicates, so you know what to say, uh, or, or rather where to say it. And then given getting to know her, what sorts of words she uses, what matters to her, you know what specifically to touch on in your campaigns and your online presence that will resonate with her. I'll be happy to do your social media. Rock on! Hey! (laughs) She already does, you know? Excellent. Yep, see? I love it. (laughs) I'll know exactly what to post. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So you want Molly to not only come to your hypothetical shop once, but you want her and all of your friend, her friends to come several times and then to bring more friends so that you can have a business that grows. And then invite me to their events to come and do like activations. Yes, yes. So that brings us to the next part of this ball games, which is this customer relationship piece. What does that strategy look like? Because it's not as simple as hoping that she's going to come in and fall in love with your shop so much that she's just going to start inviting you to things. What's your strategy there? I know. Well, and I've been reading these sales books lately, and they all say that the relationship salesman is the one that fails. You know, you need more than that. So I can't just, because my inclination is to say, well, I, you know, was raised in Worcester. I have this wide network from working in the media and being a school teacher and being a waitress. Like, I know all these people in my community, but communities turn over. People get older and young people come into the community too. And I know the neighborhood that we were just talking about is about to go through some major changes. So I don't know. How do you form the relationships beyond just my personal presence? Yeah. Uh, So given what we were saying earlier about tapping into existing resources, I'd have a conversation with Amy about that. Because Amy, Renee, those guys are awesome at this kind of thing. But that said, speaking in more general terms, a lot of strategies revolve around some sort of incentive for bringing in friends. It could revolve around um, letting people know what's out there. And I might—I I haven't read that article, so I'm not sure what they mean about the relationship salesman. But to me, relationships are how small businesses survive. So I don't know. And, and maybe we're saying the same thing just because I haven't read this article. But 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 to me. You are getting to know your client base, making sure that they're happy. You have a good system of follow-up on social media. You know, you're handling your reviews. You're making sure that you respond to people when they engage with you on Instagram. You are doing these kinds of that that make them feel valued and a part of your business. 
and then you're letting them know what you need. Send your friends, <laughs> right? Hey, we travel. Let us know if you if you if you want us to come. Any of those kinds of things. I think that that helps with that two-way communication between you and your client base. Uh, yeah, and I feel like I do have a knack for identifying taste baker groups. Like yes. Powwow Worcester is something I'm very involved in, and yeah. they have a lot of influence, I feel like, on the city and its culture. Uh, November Project is something that I'm heavily involved in. And both of the success of my relationships with those groups has a lot to do with me showing up with consistency. Mm -hmm. So I guess if people can rely on me and I'm showing up with consistency um, and continuing to be present as a new business owner with consistency, people will make you a part of the fabric. Right. That's what I was thinking, like, is the key. Like, you have the relationships, but then it's not just the consistency of showing up, but the consistency of output and product, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, the Queen's Cups... You know, you know, Renee forms relationships with clients and she's super interactive on social media, but she's also innovating and bringing in new stuff and stuff of high quality. So then it's like that's what's actually keeping people coming back into her store, right? Yeah. It's not just that she's like fun to chat with on Instagram or like does fun polls and stuff. It's that you can go back and be like, oh, I saw this and I really wanted to try it because you're doing something new and you're, you know, you're keeping people involved right yep. yep that's it and that takes us through about half of the business model campus right <laughs> so you're doing pretty well but you see how important all these things are right yeah. you could do what a lot of business owners yeah. do and just kind of get started and make it up as you go which is a lot harder and you're yeah. more likely to make mistakes and fail or you can plan it out in advance and that's kind of the goal of this thing is to really put a, a grip around what this is so the rest of the business model campus is a little bit I don't know if I want to say more straightforward, but in the interest of time, I'll, I'll kind of move a little bit more quickly, but uh, the key resources. So what are the primary things that you would need in order to make the shop happen? I would imagine you'd need a pretty hefty investment in the antique typewriters. Yeah, and I'd have to figure out how to repair them. How to repair them, how to use them. This is where Tom Hanks comes in. I just wanted to be like, <laughs> I was going to say, I should probably explain why I was like, Tom Hanks loves this. Um, he, Tom Hanks has a, is a typewriter collector. It's okay. He loves typewriters so much that he like not only collects antique typewriters and he uses them still to type, but he wrote an entire book of essays called Uncommon Type, and each story like relates to one of his beloved typewriters. And so, so he's Tom the one who's bringing in <laughs> your business, right? <laughs> Tom, are you out there? Yes. <laughs> Give us your typewriters, Tom. (laughs) We do have uh, a fascination with Rosie O'Donnell and her connection to Worcester. She just got engaged to a Worcester cop. And Rosie appeared with Tom Hanks in the classic film. League of Their Own. That's right. Wow. So maybe that's her name. a long shot. It all comes full circle. Yes. So I would need someone a little more handy. Um, Yes. (laughs) So what do I... I need somebody who can repair typewriters or I need to be that person. Thank you, YouTube. Yep. Right? Hey. Yeah, that's huge. I need the physical space the brick and mortar yes i need stationary yep um and i need a means for transportation not just for me but also for my typewriters yeah yeah absolutely absolutely so you might even be looking at a cool like food truck sort of thing but not with food yeah mobile truck for you know a lot of people are doing that with bars and things anymore flower shop Uh, flower shop like um libby the the, the mobile library, library. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Just yeah. that's what because it's that's books and paper mm-hmm. products. So it's 
similar. Yes. Yeah. So you've got a couple of core things that you would need before you could get this business off the ground, right? right? And so you would put all those in this key resources thing, and, and we're not worrying about assigning prices to anything yet. That'll be our next step. But you you know the major things that you would need in order to, to get this alive. So you'd move from there. Oops, I did this backwards, but whatever. Anyway, the, the next part of it is, is, is key activities, so the primary things that you're doing. So people could walk in, do, do their cards. You might do little events. You'd travel. I think those are the main things that you mentioned. But... But the, the primary services or things that you do that that your customers can engage with you with. Um, so you'd move to key partners being other businesses, other services that you're interacting with to make this happen. For a lot of folks, it could be, you know, say the city. If they're if they're working closely with them, it could be another business, like a coffee shop if it works out for them. It could be other other entities that you work closely with in order to to make your business model work. Um, and then the last couple of parts are just cost outflows and inflows. So we're looking at cost structure and revenue streams. So we're looking at, at the main things that you're going to have to pay for, not only to get started, but on an ongoing basis, right? So salaries. And by the way, folks listening, <laughs> salaries are always forgotten and almost always underestimated when they're remembered. So <laughs> spend a good amount of time there. Uh, but then also revenue streams, so the different ways you could make money. Um, and that works you through the business model canvas. So that those are the core ways. And when I talk about a business model, I mean how the business ticks. Right? How does how does this thing operate on a daily basis? Whew. Thank you. <laughs> well, I feel inspired. Sorry to my fiance. Now I'm going to go home and say I'm quitting my job and starting the typewriter uh, store. I'm all in on this. It's called memoir, by the way. Uh, I'm a hundred. Oh, I love yes. it. I love 100% it. Hundred percent involved. I love it. So, and given that you are, your next steps after you have a, a business model that you feel confident in is to go out and make sure that there are enough mollies out there and that more people feel like that, that, that will justify your costs, right? So the next steps are to figure out exactly how many dollars are we talking about here for all of these things just to get me up and running. And then what does that mean for, for my monthly costs? And how can I prove that there's as much of a demand with people who can pay as much money as I'm going to need to charge to make this happen. And that's where, you know, CWB can help. There are a lot of other cool resources out there that can make it happen. But that's that's when you really know if you have a good business or not. Mass Foodies curates exclusive events and publishes thought-provoking content for the food-centric person. When asking yourself where to eat tonight, turn to MassFoodies.com to see what's happening in the Massachusetts food scene. That's MassFoodies.com. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank we you always guys. talk about <laughs> local culture. We talk about professional culture. But we also talk about pop culture. So I do have one question for you based on a news story that came out this week. Yes. Awesome. Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan are feuding again. No. <laughs> oh, no. Hilton appeared on Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen, where she played Cohen's famous Plead the Fifth. She was asked to say three nice things about famous frenemy Lohan. When Hilton said she's beyond lame and embarrassing, a rep for Lohan responded to the diss, telling US Weekly, obviously Paris needs to feel relevant and is desperate for attention. I'm curious, working with all these female business owners, how are you combating this like catty woman trope um, in your line of work? And do you come across this sort of sentiment a lot? I really don't. I really don't. I, I think that, and it's a larger conversation about the way that women are portrayed in the media and how all of that happened. Uh, but women that I see come through my office are really excited to partner with each other. 
and to support each other. And they want to help lift each other up. It's not this, um, this, this competitive model that you might think. I see, uh, actually, I've got right now, I've got a, an established client. She has her own accounting firm. She is mentoring one of my client's newer ones who's trying to start her own accounting firm. So this woman would be in direct competition, yet she's still helping her to start and grow her own practice. Renee at the Queen's Cup has done that with one or two of her employees. Yes. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing more and more examples of, of women who are helping to lift each other up than tear each other down. <laughs> and that's really good for me to see, yeah. good for all of us, but, but it's, it's inspiring. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask if we were Team Lindsay or Team Paris. Oh, well, we, you can ask that too. Oh, because I'm definitely Team Lindsay. <laughs> Even though I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Paris Hilton, just from being 14 in 2004. Well, I love the parent trap. Yeah, so I'm Team Lindsay. I also, I recently watched, Lindsay has this new show on MTV. It's like Lindsay's Beach House. She and her business partner have opened a beach party house in Greece. Is it a reality show? It's very silly, yes. And so the two of them are like the bosses. It's like um, Vanderpump Rules, but like Ooh. Lindsay is Lisa. It's very silly. And I, I watched one episode of it and it was, you know, my friends and I were being goofy. But um, our major complaint, we were like, where's Lindsay? We're not watching this for these people. Because <laughs> she is still, there's still something about her that is, um, she's still got a little spark, even though she's her light has dimmed a bit. Uh, one of my favorite New York magazine profiles was of her when she was shooting this terrible movie at, I think it's called the Hotel Marmont. Is that the it's place where yeah. in LA yeah. where yes. like all the celebrities go? The chateau. Yes, yes. the chateau. Yeah. That's it. Mar is it Marmont? Marmont, yeah. So she just shut the place down. She was horrible to work mm -hmm. for. She was very demanding. Okay. And then the movie was unwatchable. And so they were with her for the extent of filming and they wrote this beautiful think piece about like her unwinding, you know, and unraveling. I don't know. Yeah. It made me feel for her. She's a yeah, she's an enigma. All right. Well, it has been a pleasure. I have learned a Thank lot. Thank you, ladies. I'm Thank so excited. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a great time to be a woman in business, especially in Central Mass. It Excellent. seems that way. So where can we find you? You can find me um, at www.cweonline.org. You can give my office a call. My direct line is 508-453-9206, I think. I hope. I think that's it. <laughs> but I'm around. Awesome. It's, it's pretty easy to find me, um, and I'm glad to glad to work with you. Are you guys on social media? We are on social media, and so I'm an old lady, and it's going to take me a while to remember what it is. But I think we're at CWE Talk on both um, Twitter and Instagram. I can probably track it down. Yeah, I'll. <laughs> we'll tag you. Feel old, like trying to come up with okay. <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, so we're we're around. Happy to happy to help out with Can. Awesome. Excellent. Well, I'm Sarah. You have been I have Sarah. been Sarah. I have been Molly. And this is Pop It. Pop It. See ya. Mass Foodies curates exclusive events and publishes thought-provoking content for the food-centric person. When asking yourself where to eat tonight, turn to MassFoodies.com to see what's happening in the Massachusetts food scene. That's MassFoodies.com.